Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tasting Anarchy. I'm Jake Lindsay, and I'm joined as always by Mason Joseph. So, did you like that? I kind of went back to our old school intro. I I was going to try to beat you to it, but because now that I because now that we're doing the dual track recording uh, through Audacity, uh-huh. you know, I, I see the timer, um, which was always frustrating to me in the past, but like my own problem. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna beat him to it this time and do the same intro you literally did. So I don't know. I no, I I'm not. <laughs> I'm pleasantly surprised. I, I was thinking about it over this like last couple of weeks, and when I was listening to some of our more recent episodes, and I was like, you know what? Mason's not wrong. We should identify who's who at the beginning of the episode because I've had multiple people who have messaged me and said, hey, Bob, you know, you said this, 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 and this. And I'm like, I don't remember saying that. And then I look it up and I go, oh, oh, that was Mason. He had the white wine. So that's why it makes way more sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that that's the thing is like one of the things that I, I always want to try to preface parts of the show with the idea that every episode may be somebody's first episode. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that we just can't specifically go over every, over every time. I have a wife. I have a kid. I don't say their names. You have a wife. She's from Ukraine. You'll say her yeah. name. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Like, okay, that's clear eventually. But like, or the fact that you generally drink reds. I generally drink whites. Mm-hmm. Though for like half this year, I was mainly drinking reds. Yeah. You know, like there's that certain thing. But like one of the things that... Like, I was listening to um, Bite the Bullet when Car was on. Yeah. And, like, one of the things that always drives me nuts about the fags is they don't introduce who they're speaking to and they don't necessarily introduce themselves, which is fine for that, like, no one's... It's not that no one's listening to their show. They have a very big audience. But, like, you know, like Mark Clare, he introduces himself. It's clear that he's the host, like Tom Woods. He introduces himself, but like without saying, this is Tom Woods. Mm-hmm. We're two people. Like, it'd be different if this was the Jacob Lindsay show and I was the co host. Right. You know, like Jason Stapleton, he's the first one to talk on his show. You know, it's him. And then he kind of introduces Matt every time, but he does it in a subtle way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I don't really dislike the, you know, the way we were doing it where it's like, and Jake, what are you drinking tonight? Like, Hey, it's Mason and Jake, like, or Mason and Jacob, like, however you, you know, however you want to refer to us, but it's, it's clear who we are. Mm -hmm. And especially when we have guests on and, you know, the fags, they have guests on all the time. So maybe it's not as rare an event for them, right? (laughs) but I I like to give, you know, if somebody gives us our time, I like for them to be able to get the opportunity to introduce themselves. Not that the fags don't give them, give their guests that, you know, I'm sure they'd be fine if somebody did did that introduction but they take some of the magic away because it's clear they were talking before the recording started and they were just having a blast yeah yeah and which is fun like they were (laughs) truly having fun that's not a problem the problem is it's like if i didn't know you guys who the heck are you (laughs) so but to derail the conversation with our nonsense as normal uh so I'm Mason. He's Jake. This is Tasting Anarchy. We spend every week trying to figure out how much government's in your drink while drinking wine and talking liberty and anarchy. So, Jake, what are you drinking? Well, tonight, tonight I 
I, I picked something. It's it's not unusual for the wine that is. I just don't recall buying this bottle. But uh, mm. you know, I have that big wine rack set up, which is like you know, like thirty six bottles, I think. And usually, what I'll do is when I want to open a new bottle is I'll say, Victoria, you know, tell me what one to do, and she'll be, and I'll say this one, and then she'll be like, no, three up, two over, or something like that. And then it'll just I'll just grab it, and I pulled it out, and I went, I don't, I have no idea where I got this from or why I got it. Um, it's a it's a Spanish uh, Spanish Grenache. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. uh, Flor Flor de Anglora. Um, it it mm-hmm. says Monsant. Uh, that's where I guess that's where the uh, that's its appellation. Um, mm-hmm. It just says on the back Red Table Wine. It doesn't. It's not. Uh, doesn't have like one of those kind of like. Uh, holographic labels that you see on a lot of the Spanish wines and French wines where it's like it's designating a specific yeah so, yeah, so in that case I don't think it was produced specifically as a Spanish focused export right yeah that that'd be my guess uh, too it's uh it's a yeah. 2012 it it's for I mean Ooh. it's a very good granacha I think I looked into mm-hmm. my uh total wine history and that's where I bought it I just don't. Re- I just don't okay. remember buying it. I'm not sure why. It's 13.5 percent alcohol by volume, so uh, pretty pretty decent. Um, like on the lower end of of what mm-hmm. I've been drinking lately, which is nice. So it makes it very drinkable. Uh, Good. I happen to have it with taco salad bowl that I made. So oh, because I, I'm, I'm going back to my low carb diet, so I've been eating a lot of the like ground beef with lettuce type things. So it's it's a taco salad mm. bowl, but with no crunchy. No tortillas or anything like that. It's just so. Is it like just meat and salad? It, it's like meat, salad, uh, salsa. I put in a little bit of guacamole okay. into it and some and mm. some sour cream. So it's basically it's a taco salad just minus the tortilla. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and no beans. I, um, didn't, I didn't put beans in it either. I'm, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. Yeah. I, I've noticed I've been putting on some, so uh, yeah, trying to go back to maintaining my my youthful vigor. So, <laughs> look, what's that? Uh, svelte, svelte, yeah. It's a it, it basically like it's kind of how you look, how you've looked recently to me. Like, so, like, you know, like, uh, the fags they always talk about like how like jacked you are, but like I've seen you at like Hulk size, yeah, yeah. And, and so, to me, like, you just look normal, like, you don't look like you don't look like you're in between some body dysmorphia issue thing that you. It's not an issue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I see. You know, I see. What you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're you're trim, but you're not like. Um, you remember how small little Jacob used to be? Yeah. Like just, just, and not like he starved himself. Just kind of had that like I'm very like small person, like. You for somebody who's six 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 five yeah. like kind of have that like natural just leanness, mm-hmm. right? But you do a bunch of other stuff, yeah. So like that that's like that's kind of what svelte means to me. I'm sure it doesn't mean that. No, at I think all, it does. I think svelte is just yeah. it just means lean. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, that's that's basically what I'm going for. Is it's just sort of going back to a little bit leaner. Uh, I do want to start going to this uh, strength training gym pretty soon, but I figured. Mm-hmm. You know, I might as well get started on a on a little bit better diet, which has been tough because, like, I cutting things out is when you start realizing how bad your diet is. 
And mm-hmm. so like I, I was taking the dog for her walk this morning and I went by the Seven Eleven, and I got, I always get a Dr. Pepper while I'm there, a Diet Dr. Pepper. And, and mm-hmm. I was looking at like the other things and I was like, whoa, I, I would love a taquito. And I was like, yeah, I do eat taquitos a lot more often than I think I would care to admit. I just don't think about it. <laughs> and, uh, and same thing, like, you know, walking past like the breakfast sandwiches or whatever. And, and the, they had those, mm-hmm. uh, like those stuffed waffles. And, and I was thinking about it and I was like, I do actually eat these quite a bit now that I think about it. Like I normally, when I'm talking to people, I'm like, oh yeah, I have a really good diet or whatever. And then I was like, no, I eat these stuffed waffles like once a week at least, or, or maybe even more than yeah. that. If you told me you had a really good diet, I would just kind of be like, he thinks that mm-hmm. and he hasn't told me about like restricting his diet at all. So no, yeah. I don't agree. Right. But I'm not going to say it to his <laughs> face. Yeah. Well, I, I, do, I do really like those it, things like the, the breakfast. Oh yeah. Things and- so like today is Saturday or Sunday. So my daughter's taking a nap. My wife had woken up from her nap and I had been, so like when Lily or when my daughter takes a nap, I, I normally leave the house mm-hmm. on the weekends. And go do, try to do retail arbitrage, something. Yeah. Like, I just get out of the house because, like, I want to make noise. I'm, I'm up. Like, I want to be doing something. So my wife took a nap. So I said, hey, you know, turn off the baby monitor. I'll stay awake and I'll be here. Mm-hmm. So she did. So after that, I went to Taco Bell. And, of course, like, you know the Taco Bells, like, when or not Taco Bells, but uh, 7-Elevens, where they have the like hot case right at the register yeah. and it's like the cheap hamburgers or the cheap chicken sandwiches. Right. I love those chicken sandwiches. Oh really? Yeah. So so I, actually, I yeah, those, those, those hamburgers I'm actually, I think are pretty good too. Yeah. And they're, I, I they're, 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 super, they're, they're, very, they're clearly cheap. Like look, like oh, yeah. the meat's probably not a high quality yeah. or whatever, but like I, you, you just, you get it and it, and it just, sometimes <laughs> it just hits the spot. Well, and that's the thing is like, I always forget like a, ta- or a I keep wanting to call it Taco Bell or 7-Eleven. I can just go back to the hot dog station and put all the condiments yeah, that I want on right. it. They don't care. Yeah, that's true. So, of course, like I, I told my wife, I like I really want something bubbly. So I went to the Seven Eleven um, on Ocean View, which just has the worst bubbly drink section that isn't alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Like all the areas around here, like they because soda's fallen by the wayside on everything. Like you and I only drink diet soda, basically. Mm-hmm. So. They didn't have anything good. Right. So I got diet, like Sprite Zero, but I got one of those sandwiches and then had a bunch of chips. So like this weekend has been the awful diet weekend <laughs> for me as well. Yeah. So uh, now well, we, for that, let's, uh, uh, for the let's go ahead and because um, I was reading your notes on this and I'm kind of curious about mm-hmm. what you're drinking. So you want to you want to well, first okay. I want to know. What's the color on that granola? Oh, oh, like yeah, I, I, you you gave a little bit about it. You said it was good, but like you didn't really give us any flavor. Should, yeah, you know what? Taste, I, smell I, notes. I didn't. And for like a granacha, that's a rare, like it's not rare red wine type. Mm-hmm. It means it's a very popular red wine type in Spain. Yeah. but for the American palate, it's very rare, and it's one I like a lot. So. Yeah, it, it is actually it's it's different than what I normally drink. It, it's lower in tans mm-hmm. and like a Cabernet Sauvignon. So color wise, very deep uh, red color. It's it's I would say closer to the garnet spectrum than like the root than mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. ruby or um, or like that yeah. kind of purple color that you sometimes see. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's more of a this honestly is just it's a it's a very good drinking wine. It's um, 
let me see if I can look it up real quick while we're talking. Uh, I was gonna say, do you have like an estimation on the price on it? I think it was. I think it was less than twenty dollars. But let's look it up real quick. Or no, this was a. This was what was twenty twelve. So let me look it up. Yeah. Because the fun thing about this is like we have no real reason to understand why you bought. I, I yeah. I I for the life of me cannot remember. I don't even remember when I bought it. I, it was it was kind of like it was like a shocker to see it on the shelf. I was like, when did I get this? And now, granted, I do buy a lot of stuff, but like it's it's a mm-hmm. Spanish wine. I like Spanish wines a lot. I do like Grenache, but I don't buy it very often. And I just don't I you just know, don't I, remember when. I, I think you may have mentioned buying this to me, but like not specifically the one. You're like, oh, I got a Spanish Grenache. I was like a total wine, but that's also, possible because you had been buying so much last bottle wine yeah. that. It, to me, it's a little rare to hear that you went to Total Wine. Like, I hadn't been to Total Wine in months. Right. Because I had been getting so much Kroger and, and living off of my Splash Wine stock. So, while you look up some stuff on that, I'm going to plug the people that we've talked about a little bit real sure. quick. So, Friends Against Government, Fags, as they call themselves. Uh, so, Bird Arkist and uh, Car Campit. Uh, two wonderful guys. They often quite have uh, guests and other fun things. They are a Liberty Smorgasbord, um, as you could say. They are also our co-hosts for Childerberg. Carr came up with the idea. Jacob did a lot of the work, as Carr would tell you himself. Uh, this year, Childerberg is going to be in... Oh, not this year, but the next coming one is going to be in May. Um, it's going to wrap the LNC, hopefully. Myself, Jacob, Carr, and Bird will be there, so hopefully. And uh, hopefully they will be cool with this. We are going to do a... Uh, power episode with all four of us plus pretty much anybody else who will bomb in uh, on the episode so those are two plugs so keeping them a little shorter hopefully that but Jacob time to look up some stuff yeah yeah let me go I I, I do recall now why I bought this because it's $12 mm. so oh, yeah so that's probably why I bought it because I was like oh a $12 ganache <laughs> let me try that um so it's uh like it's it's called uh Baronia del Monsant Flor de Anglora Granacha. So it's a... So something the day of glory. Yeah, yeah. And now on the bottle it says uh, Mons... Mon... M-O-N-T... Monsanto? No, it's, it, you know, I, I keep... I Honestly, <laughs> I keep reading it that way. But it's M M O N T S A N T. So Montsant. Montsant. Yeah. And it in that underneath it it says uh, Demonicio de Origin. So... That to me indicates that that's where it's from. Yeah, so De Origin is definitely where it's from, but the the Mont part, I'm not sure if that's yeah. Mont, the the place of origin, or if that somehow modifies the place of origin yeah. without giving the the location. Yeah. So on Total Wine, it just says Spain, but and also on the back of the bottle, it just says product of Spain. It doesn't say a specific region. So my my yeah. guess is it's a it's a Spanish table wine. It's a Grenache. It may be from, this might be a state or a province. I could probably look that up as well. But, you know, uh, it does say uh, it's from uh, Monsant or Montsant. Uh, and it says uh, Ciurana Valley. So wherever hmm. that is, you guys make pretty good Grenache for twelve ninety nine or for eleven ninety nine, And um, I mean, it's hard to make bad Grenache. That's true. I mean, it, 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 it's such a unique mm-hmm. Like it, it, like for me, Grenache is one of those wines where it's is very good cooking wine, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the times it's like Pinot Noir but a little rougher. Mm-hmm. 
so I get more out of it than I do most Pinot Noirs. Because like most Pinot Noirs, I know there's more there. I'm just not getting it. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that this is like the greatest thing I've ever had. I had a Flux Grenache that I thought was one of the best Grenaches I've ever had. But this has got very balanced acidity. It's very smooth. Um, it does have a long finish, which is nice. Uh, I could see cooking with this Mason, so that, that would not be a mm-hmm. bad thing. Uh, the reviews on Total Wine are not great for it. From the, I usually go by customer reviews just to sort of see what they're they're, they're giving like three point seven stars, which is not terrible, uh, but not great. I mean, that's a, that's the thing is for like one of the things that I think people need to understand is both you and I in our households we don't do badly financially but we are value consumers yes that's true and price per ounce for this Grenache it sounds like it's one of the best Grenaches you've had yeah I mean for for the price honestly I I do recommend it for the price especially if if you're going somewhere that you're going to have something that pairs well with Grenache barbecue Mexican food um, any spicy? Yeah, anything spicy is going to be red meat. Yeah, yeah, and the acidity too. Anything very fatty, the acidity in it's going to mm-hmm. is going to be nice cutting that fat. So if you have something that's a little bit and spicy, little thing, like, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even go against it. Like recommend fish or like weird vegetables. Like no, the, like it sounds like this would be a good mix right there. Yeah, and like um, help pastor like the uh, the varietal that I like that does Grenache, It's like eight ninety nine. Like, it's not a complex enough wine. It, it, there obviously there are you know probably hundreds of bottles, hundreds of dollars bottles of Grenache that are very good, mm-hmm. but it's such a unrepresented wine that even at twelve eight ninety nine, you can still find a good. Deal. That's true. Yeah, and and actually and, there's there's a and, lot and get a good taste. And there's a lot of stuff going on in in Spain too where. It's, you can a lot of it, it they haven't totally permeated the US market not the same way that Italy and France have so although Spain is kind of up and coming when it comes to uh the wines uh-huh. that are that people are looking for it, it's you can still get really good deals and right now it's really only certain types of dessert wines in Rioja that are that are really well known from Spain but yeah, there's and that's the yeah. thing. It's like the the Italians aren't even that well represented because yeah. the Italian market is so more fractured than the Spanish or the French mm-hmm. market, and the Spanish market's way more fractured than that's that. That's true. Like you can still get amazing deals out of Italy, and you know, like Jackson would not argue against us, but like you know, he'd caution you kind of necessarily against the uh, super Tuscans. Yeah. Well, um, it doesn't. Yeah, you know, kind of like putting so much stock in that label whereas we would just be like yeah you can get a good deal there so to kind of put this into perspective i don't recall if i did a review on this but the flux granacha that i had out of california uh i don't think you okay did. well that one is kind of what sort of set the bar for granacha for me because it was very very good mm-hmm. uh and i got it from last bottle wines but uh it's it was a california granacha it was very fruit forward this one's also very fruit forward i would if like somebody gave this to me in a blind taste test i wouldn't have placed this in europe uh, but mm-hmm. uh, that Grenache that I had from California was uh, $32 a bottle. So oh, wow. now I'm sure I got it for way less on, on Last Bottle Wine, but mm-hmm. it retails, the same year retails on uh, Total Wine for $32. So some, something Very to think about. It, it does remind me a lot of that, but I, the quality-wise, the other one 
Flux is clearly better, but this one for the price is better. So yeah, and, and that's the thing is like there there are times where you need an expensive bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I's birthday, right? Um, you know, you just bought your first million dollar real estate property or something <laughs> like that, right? You know, like you need a an expensive bottle of wine, or you're just having a really bad week, and it's you know time to have a nice bottle of wine. But there are other times where it's like, look, I want to have a drink. I'm not looking to get hammered faced. Yeah, I need something that tastes good and it's tasty. And you know, twelve dollars, like, and especially for like availability. And that's the other like, it's not a complaint against last bottle of wines, but like one of the things that always kind of scares me about buying their stuff. Mm-hmm. Is if I really like it and I only bought one. Yeah. It's like are you ever, crap. Right. Are you ever gonna be able to get it again? Which yeah. is why I that's and, why I frequently buy six. <laughs> yeah, but like that, you know, and that's kind of the thing is like when you buy one, you're like, I need to know if this is good, and then you're never gonna be able to because like, you know, on some of the reds, especially ones that don't age super well, and on the whites that don't age yeah. super well, mm-hmm. you six months later, it's a different wine. That's true. And you don't know what the storage conditions, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, this is this is not the same thing. And um, I always say El Pastor, but it's El Pensador, Pensador yeah. as you usually remind yeah. me. But, I, I thought um, about it this time, but I was just like, eh, we'll let it go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I am drinking the Pacer Andalus Chardonnay 27. Placer. No. You would think that. It says Placer on your notes here. Yeah, but it's Spanish, actually. But Well, so, Placer is in, like, Placerville is also Spanish. I, I figured so, but I wasn't oh. sure if there was, like, a mispronunciation thing there. Plus, I don't really remember what I said, so I was trying to play it off not very well. It, it has, so, it has um, something to do with gold or silver, if I recall. Yeah, I think so. So, I... So this this weekend, I asked my wife to make um, herb rubbed chicken. Okay, she does a very good one of these. So we were gonna have it for the week. So she spent all day making it, and part of that is she makes a sauce out of some of the drippings, and she usually uses a white wine to do it. Mm-hmm. So um, remember the other day when I said like we had a, a tempranillo that was like almost bubbly, kind of like it was carbonated. Yeah. yeah. So. I've been trying to get another bottle of that Tempranillo to, one, to drink, because it was fantastic. Two, I was trying to get a second bottle to put aside for the next time you were out here. Right. And be like, look, I know this isn't the most amazing Tempranillo, but it's so different. Okay. It's kind of like um, the the cab sob that I bought you for your birthday that I can't remember the name of the moment where we always compare it. To. Oh, Pina? Like, it was so... Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was very good. Where... It, like, Pina was unique, different. You could tell the quality and the, the taste. I mean, everything about it. Like, it's a great bottle of wine. This wasn't, like, Pina for quality, but it was unique. It was different. It's kind of like a freak show where there's something different about it. So, at the Kroger that I go to, they've had, from the same company, a Chardonnay. Mm. So we were looking around and my wife, like late in the day in the shopping, said, oh yeah, we need a white for the sauce for the chicken. And I had forgot this was part of it. And I was kind of like, what do we need a sauce, like white wine for? And she's like, for the chicken. And I was like, well, do you want like a dry white? Are you looking for like something with acidity? Like what's going on? And she's like, oh, you're the expert. Oh, you pick. And I, 
in my head, I, I didn't say what I should have said, in, which is, give me a better idea of what we're going to use this <laughs> right. for. So I said to her, okay, well, I really want to try the Chardonnay, and I've wanted to try the Chardonnay, and I've wanted to try the Chardonnay because of the Tempranillo that we had. So we bought one of those, and usually when she cooks with a wine, there's a very little tasting in it that we get to do before she uses the entire bottle. So I thought, I'm like, I'm going to have a sip of this, and that'll be it. Well, on top of the wine that I just told you, like named, uh-huh. I had had at least two glasses of this one. And this one had some of that like bubbliness almost to it. So it's like either the terroir of this wine is like on two different levels. Then like, I don't know what's going on with it, but so that being aside, I've had a bunch of Chardonnay, both Spanish. So I was sitting there going like, well, Jacob didn't say like, let's try to coordinate a wine this week. He didn't, you know, give me an idea what he was going to drink. So I just went to, the house wine, basically mm-hmm. wine that I have in the house, and the no. Did you say how did you pronounce it? Placer, placer, yeah. uh, placer Andalus. So I went into my wine stock, and I just happened to have this. So it's a Chardonnay. It's 2017. It's only 11 percent alcohol by volume. Usually, I drink like 12 and a half and up. Yeah, but aren't aren't like, Chardonnays? Don't they typically aren't they lower? I, I don't drink a lot of Chardonnay. Okay. Neither of us do. Yeah. So I don't really know the taste level of Chardonnay or the alcohol volume of yeah, Chardonnay. Yeah, I mean, in my in my recollection, I don't think I've ever had a Chardonnay. Yeah. No, you, you've had. Okay. We, we've talked about it before. We've definitely had it. And you kind of bounce between, like, have I had one before? And then you remember one you had. Like, okay. it's one of those things. Like, Chardonnay is, is one of those wines that it's not my favorite white, but it can be very good. And both of these Chardonnays were from Spain, or all, yeah, both these Chardonnays were from Spain, and they were both pretty good. Hmm. Um, both had stronger than expected acidity that, that I don't really expect from Chardonnay, like, because a lot of Chardonnays are oaked, so they have a butteriness, which I really like butter, which isn't bad, but I really like butter, and it's not a good approximation in my opinion. Okay. And I want the acidity from whites, so... Um, but this, you know, pretty good acidity. My wife thought it had a very strong peach flavor. I definitely think it's got a white flesh, white flesh fruit flavor kind of, you know, it's like some plums have a whiter flesh. It's not really plummy, but like, you know, there's white flesh fruit and this has kind of got that peachness to it. Um, very pale golden in, in color. Um, I got it from the splash wines that my parents bought me back like for my birthday in January. So it's been sitting in my laundry room okay <laughs> since then um but yeah like I, I couldn't really give you a, a an idea on the price the the other one um the one from entente i think is the name of the winery um you know we got it for like 13 bucks i think this one is a stronger wine though i think the entente is more interesting okay so the entente for 13 dollars Honestly, if we when we go back to Kroger, if they next week if they have more than one bottle, I'm probably gonna buy all the bottles that I can find. It was really fun. Okay, and I like this. Um, the place. I I'm not from California, Placer. so I can't say Placer. Placer. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard you say Placerville so many times, <laughs> I can't. I still yeah. can't say it. But um, like I like this one more. But I think the other one's more interesting. So it's kind of like a freak show. Okay. Freak show is one of those cabs 
that it's interesting, but it's not very well representative of, of cabs. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's something about it where there's the, you know, we'll call it the terroir, uh, but something about it. Like, well, it's yeah. It's just not. I, there's not a name for this yet, but I think that, well, or maybe there is a name and I just am not aware of it, but there needs to be a name for, it's not the terroir, but it's the, it's the terroir of time and fellowship, I guess. Is I think I think th- I think that's part of it, but I think like Freak Show, yeah, specifically has elements of the producer in right. it, right? And I think it's their entire profile of wines have this. So yeah, it's not the winemaker; it's the company. Well, that that and that's very possible, but I I know that like one of the things I still buy Freak Show. Because especially mm-hmm. whenever I see it on sale, I'm like, oh, I'll get another bottle of that or whatever. And every time I drink it from like the weird Jacob, like separating myself from myself and looking at things from the Jacob objective, I go, this is a mediocre Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, it's not bad, it, but and it's very drinkable for sure. But it is it from what I would now at this point expect a Cabernet Sauvignon to be. That's not what it is. But yeah, exactly. but also from the subjective point of view, when I drink it, I think about you, I think about Nate, I think about mm-hmm. us starting the show and all these different things, and that is like the terroir of time and place as well. So, yeah, but like I think that's just sense memory. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. And, it is. It's sense memory, exactly. It's yeah. exactly sense. Memory. And, and that's the thing is like, but in this is not a knock on Freak Show. Freak Show itself is a specific product. Mm-hmm. And they do their best to represent the same wine each year. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, you know, and and they do a good job with that. Exactly. And and that's not a problem. No. And that's one of the things about, like, the guy across the street, he drinks, like, Bush Light or some equivalent very, very cheap beer. But he also enjoys craft beers, and he enjoys high-end craft beers. But one of the things is he wants a specific thing from his beer, and he doesn't. He likes the consistency. Mm-hmm. While that is not something that I particularly care for, I can't knock up the idea that like, hey, I consistently get the same result from this product. Right. Like to me, that's the market doing a pretty good efficiency. Yeah. Like, I understand that you know I can go in and have beers that will change and vary in flavor, like um. Do you remember, do you know Victory's Golden Monkey? Yeah. That was the first beer that I ever had that was like well over 7% alcohol by volume. Hmm. And the first time I had it, like I just got rip roaring drunk on it and like thought never again. This is terrible. This is just so alcoholic. And then, you know, my favorite beer is uh, 120 minute by Dogfish Head, which is 10% higher in volume. Oh, you know, I, you know, I, uh, I, I, I shouted out that beer when I was on the Cork and Java show oh yeah yeah and i called it 190 minute (laughs) that would be awesome if they did 190 (laughs) minute yeah but yeah so like i bought so a few months ago i got the 100 or almost at 120 minute again but i got the golden monkeys um sour Hmm. or victory's golden monkey sour which is still 9.5 alcohol and it's a tripel that's soured so it's that's interesting super exotic yeah that is very exotic sounding so I bought the Trapel again, and it took me right back. It's not a great beer. 
it's not a good representation of Trippel, in my opinion. Like, to me, it, it's not that super great, but, like, I still ended up having three of them and being pretty toasty last night to the point where, like, I had to stay up later and drink a bunch of water and go, like, okay, this was a bad decision. <laughs> Why did you do this? Like, you know, all that, all that stuff. But, like, it took me back to that. You know, like, I used to chase that high level of alcohol in beer and now for me it's more about the flavor and yeah I, I don't dislike some intoxication but I really don't like to be drunk drunk let's say so but yeah like you know I don't personally go out and buy freak show because I don't have enough experience with normal cab sobs yeah where I'm like hey I need that familiarity again it'd be different if like I just had gone through like my uh W set level three cab sob specific training. <laughs> and I was like, I got to try something different. Right. And then had freak show and like, you know, at uh Wegmans, the grocery store, like I showed you that, you know, the 1.5 liter freak show bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I really should get this for when Jacob comes back to town. I'd be like, ha ha. That would actually, that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, more freak show than you can handle. Like, but well, I just, um, I finished, I just, this Actually, it was yesterday I finished a bottle of their uh, Red Blend, for the Freak Show Red Blend with the Wolf Wolf Boy on the cover or on the, or mm-hmm. on the label. And uh, yeah. again, not not terrible, but also not amazing. It's just it's a good, consistent yeah. Red Blend. It's it, like you said, it's always the same. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. change. So if you want, if, if you have an idea of what that will go with, it's always going to go with that. Or, or at least, you know, your best bet is yeah, that it's like, going to. If you're, if you're, and that's the thing that like most people, like one of the things that's hard to get across to people with wine is there are so many factors that go into the flavor that your favorite producer can have a not great year. That's right. And if you don't recognize the fact that, hey, they may have a not great time, you know, like, um, Ricky, not Ricky. Was it Ricky? R- Ricky no. is uh, Alta Marfa, and Ra- yeah, Rowdy Maggie. is uh, Rowdy. Yeah, Rowdy. Like loses forty plus percent of his vines. Well, I think I think he lost almost either eighty or ninety percent. Almost not yeah, not the vines, what, just what, the fruit. Yeah, but whatever. What I'm, I I get the story yeah. wrong every time. Like Carl, like trying to tell us when uh, children <laughs> is, but like you know, he literally has this devastation happen. And, you, you know, they're trying to produce the best thing, and then you're comparing it to, like, and I don't mean in, like, a negative way, but, like, Budweiser. Yeah. It's a industrial process. Like, they control every element of that. And they can still have variations where things just don't go right. Like, uh, Samuel Adams had a time where, like, half of the winter lager they had to dispose of, basically, because they didn't brew it correctly. And their, I, uh, I remember October that, yeah. T- yeah. Was their Oktoberfest tastes a little different every year, and it's, like barley hops and something else, you know, very few other variations. And like, it's so amazing how particular wine is. And I think that's the perfect segue into our first article today. Uh, the one that I picked. Well, you have two. I do have two. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll go, we'll go order on the paper then. So the first article I picked is from Decanter Magazine. It's called mm-hmm. Are Hybrids and Ancestral Wines on the Rise? And it's by Sophie Cavani. 
so to go ahead and give everybody a summary of the article, so uh, Spain and France are introducing new laws and regulations regarding ancestral, this is in quotes, ancestral uh, wines. Uh, they are apparently, they're different things, ancestral and um, hybrids, which they did include in the title, but the laws, it doesn't seem like they're making a distinction when it, but she also didn't go that much into it. So this is going to require a little bit. No, it, it's very light on the, the legal, the yeah. legal, which is nice, Yeah, but it gives you a good flavor of what it seems. It's happening. right. So it's something actually I'm kind of curious about. So I might, I might look into it a little bit more, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of like, let's put an attack or whatever in hybrids. Cause I do want to come back to that. Mm-hmm. But uh, ancestral wines are wines that uh, used to be grown but have fallen out of favor. And then hybrids are a cross between European grapes and other breeds of grapes. So a lot very mm-hmm. common is, is American varietals. So I think we have two – there's two common American grape uh, varietals and they do mix those with Europeans and they come up with these hybrid grapes that have different properties. So uh, some advantages to both hybrid and ancestrals is that they uh, can better withstand heat drought and disease they also often require less pesticides and can ripen at more advantageous times uh, in bordeaux they have introduced two new grapes uh, cabernet jura which is um, resistant to frost and disease and another one called uh, cal 604 um, more commonly called savank is that am i saying that correct savank I, I I wanted to correct the notes, and then I realized that was actually what the article was referring. I think to I think as, I'm going to call so. it Sauvignac. Sauvignac. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's Cabernet Sauvignon, and then so yeah. I would say Sauvignac. Sauvignac. So like you said, the first. Yeah. Time. Okay. So uh, similar reasons, uh, disease resistant, mm-hmm. and it has a different harvest period. Now I look. They didn't. It didn't say it in the article. I looked both of these up just because I was curious. Like what what's what's up with these grapes? Uh, so. They also mentioned a couple of other ones and um, some things that are going on in, in Spain as well, but I didn't want to get too deep into the article uh, because more what I wanted to talk about, Mason, was um, just the concept of ancestral wines and mm-hmm. hybrids. So ancestral wines is something that you and I are very interested in, particularly in um, Georgia or Eastern Europe. Correct. And so this is this is kind of an interesting turn. Now, a lot of the ancestral wines that they cited, because I looked up all of the grapes that they mentioned in the article, um, most of the grapes they mentioned in the article are not hybrids. Uh, although although mm-hmm. Cal 604 is a specific strain that it, it's not been genetically altered, but it's been bred. So yeah, it's it's a product you can purchase. Yeah, yeah. Like you could buy it today if you want. Yeah, to. but it's it's got you know patents and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. um, so. One of the things, though, that I thought was interesting about this is that in in the article they they do mention hybrids, but for the most part they're talking about ancestral grapes, which are just grapes that, for one reason or another, people used to grow in their local areas, and then they were pushed out by mostly the noble grapes, which is uh, mm-hmm. the grapes of France. And we see a resurgent, and actually last week we spoke about this in regard to Moldova, uh, or maybe it was two weeks ago. Um, I think it was last week. Well, last week you spoke about Moldova. So okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, that uh, some of the 
older grape varietals that were popular before the Soviet Union are starting to kind of make a resurgence and people are starting to use more modern viticulture practices to produce very high quality wines out of these. You know, Sopravari in particular is one that I do like. Uh, it's a it's a off-sweet red typically, but they're starting mm-hmm. to produce dry versions of it. And uh, Mukuzani, I think, is another one. And But in Georgia itself, there is something like 580 genetically uh, identified distinct types of grape. And then... I thought it was like 50-something. No, there's 40-something that are commercially commercially planted that's that's yeah yeah Yeah, okay yeah but they but they've done dna testing on 500 and something some crazy high number it may not be as much as 500 but it's a lot well i mean and that's the thing is like we've often quoted like some statistic like georgia has like 500 varietals and you know when we look back at our kind of knowledge like you could say that the jacob valley varietal is one and then Mm -hmm. i have a varietal over in the other valley that i swear is different and it's just to what terroir expression yeah it could be and it's the same variety yeah and, and i you know? and you know but if they dna tested both they, they may go yeah mm-hmm. these are these are brother and sister but they're not exactly the same and and, that, yeah, and that's correct. why when in, in particularly in new world wines you end up getting a lot of clonal types and mm-hmm. so you'll plant this clone variety of Pinot Noir and it, and it does these types of things. And then you have this other clonal type of Pinot Noir and it doesn't do well in this area, but it does well in this other area. And, and every single vine that you have in your vineyard when you're planting one clonal type, that is all of the same thing. So I have a really weird tangentially related understanding of why this okay. is. So... One of the things that happened post-Napoleon is the ostrification of government in Europe before World War One, where, like, these nobilities suppressed other, no- like, revolutions and all this stuff, and then they, like, calcified, and they created all these weird laws to, like, regulate society and do all these things. Whereas you look at America, and it was, like, after the Civil War, they're like, we can barely keep shit together. <laughs> like... Just do things. But one of the things that came out of America is the industrialization process. But it, when it went into Europe, it went into Europe in odd ways. So not only did they industrialize and produce, like, you know, clothes and stuff like that, but they also tried to, like, industrialize, but not industrialize their wine industry where, like, as you said, the noble grapes. Like, I think, like, if we actually look back at the history, the noble grapes are probably a, more a figment of historical imagination compared to actual reality. So I think one of the things that we're seeing is now that they basically, they came up with this concept, you can only use these grapes. Mm-hmm. Everybody replanted, and those grapes worked, and then they started having to use more and more chemicals as they just realized these grapes weren't good for the environment and there was a reason these people were growing these specific off varietals in these areas because that's just what worked you know it's like yeah. table well, I mean, that's very possible this is what worked yeah. and that and that's very so, possible and that is sort of what the article hints at is is certain grapes for certain areas just work mm-hmm. and, and and that's the thing is like but i think one of the things that the reason europe has been doing this is because they've just basically looked at america where it's like yeah we industrialize everything and it works because America has such a huge area. They don't go and see the regional issues like the fact that, you know, in Virginia, we've been planting wine since like basically Jamestown 
and it's not worked until 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah that's true. And like, we're willing to try all these stuff, but like, they're like, oh, the Americans are doing it. California wine's amazing. And, and you and I both know that like by land popul like land percentage, California isn't anywhere near the size of Europe, but just the geographical latitude and longitude that California covers in its wine area is so vast. It's like, yeah, you, you guys really have no idea what you're up against. Right. Like counties that are the size of countries. Oh yeah, absolutely. Growing fields that, you know, growing fields that can be the size of entire, you know, growing regions in Cal, you know, in California, it's like Napa Valley. Like Napa Valley is not huge, but like, Literally, like, I mean, geographically, Napa and Lodi are not that far apart. Right. To travel between the two is difficult. But, like, if that that distance in Europe, they'd be like, oh, it's not that big. Like, you know, it'd be kind of this weird thing. But, like, in, you know, like, if you go like, oh, yeah, I'm from Napa Valley. And you're like, I'm from Lodi. You're like, I'm going to go hang out with the guy from Napa. <laughs> like, that's right. Yeah, well, that's true. He's probably a millionaire. The guy from Lodi <laughs> is going to stab me. <laughs> And like Lodi Zin is amazing. Yeah. And Napa produces amazing, you know, just across the board, amazing stuff. Yeah. But I think that's kind of the thing that like what we're seeing is this idea that like Europe, oh, it's so cultured and all this stuff. No, that's what Europe's, Europe's historians have tried to tell us as they've tried to recover from two world wars where you know, the Americans basically showed up and were like, what are you doing to each other? Right. And then they're like, we're trying to be you. Like industrialized, it's like yeah, we had the Civil War. We didn't kill anywhere near as many people as this nonsense. Well, and both you and yeah. I are like that was such an atrocity. Yeah, that's like, true. But you know, I think I think another thing that this and this plays specifically into wine. And now that you're mentioning it, I just came up with this off the top of my head, so it could be totally invalid. I literally the same <laughs> thing. Here, so. uh, but uh, Fluoroxera, I think, had played probably a very large role because Fluoroxera was first introduced into France. So they had they mm-hmm. had the blight first, and yes. the people who were trying to figure out the blight were working with French grape varietals. And when they figured out mm-hmm. that they could graft French grapes onto American rootstock, I think that's when they found out that they well they found out with those with the quote unquote noble grapes, and that's what permeated. So that would be that that's kind of my idea. We should look into it though. That's kind of interesting. Uh, an interesting thought. Yeah, I I think I think one of the things that like. That blight, yeah, happened. I like in the late 1700s. It started. No, I think. It, I like, think. It, no, it, I mean it's documented. I think it was like like 1860 or something like that. Let me, let me. No, no, no. Like I remember looking into it, and I'm I could be wrong, and I, I'm fine if I am. I think the heavy presence of the blight was much later, but it had started longer than that, and that's kind of one of those like things that. So Mm -hmm. reading lourockwell.com and like kind of a conspiratorial thing where like this guy was basically trying to make the argument that all of the U.S. terror wars are actually Tony Blair's plan from like 1999. Uh And like there's a speech he gave where you could literally watch it and it's literally a roadmap of all the dumb crap they tried to do. And then the fact that the special relationship between the United States and Great Britain is basically what's ruined this century is Britain is subtly manipulating the United States, and they're a bunch of morons. Okay, according to, according like, to Wiki, it was it was mm-hmm. first introduced when uh, some Americans sent some vines over to be researched in 1850. Okay, well, but, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, but like you know, that's the people who argue that AIDS has been around for 300 years, and you know they have all this 
evidence. That's true. You know, who knows? But yeah, that's so like that's the the interesting thing is like they're you know they're kind of people, and this is you and I's complaint about a lot of this is we recognize regional variety is awesome, but we also recognize that industrialization has saved so many lives, yeah. and so much of this need to use these more exotic varietals and do all this weird stuff is driven by the need to get around government regulation, but then they go like, oh, it's climate change. Right. So the government needs to give us a pass on this. It's like, well, why doesn't the government just release all of it then? Because if the government was in the way and you could just literally grow Zen in this area Mm -hmm. and Zen is way more resilient, and I'm not saying Zen specifically, but like this would be a better grape to grow in Bordeaux. Oh, ho, 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 ho. like instead of coming up with these like really obscure things or these hybrids that require like all this additional work and things like that. Like that's the thing. Like, and you know, we always talk about how much government's in your drink. It's like literally if you just had removed the laws of production and you know, I'll, I'll grant it to you, Jacob, let the trademark <laughs> work here. <laughs> right for like Bordeaux, like, you know, left bank Bordeaux, like you could have, they, they could have solved this problem long ago or this may have never been a problem where they suddenly had this weird enforcement mechanism that basically said, no, 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 it's these varieties until it isn't. That's true. Well, and you know, and to to sort of play devil's advocate though on that as well, it's like, there's, there is something to be said about Bordeaux style wines is it's nice. They, I don't, I don't know enough about wine, you know, and I know, a decent amount, more than your average human. Mm-hmm. But I don't yep. know that there's any other blends or any other terroir that can produce, I wouldn't say all Bordeaux, but good Bordeaux. So, Well, and, and that's the thing is, but how much is good Bordeaux actually good mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, enforced good? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like in Chile. Like if you had the industrial resources of France mm-hmm. in Chile, yeah, you could make good Bordeaux. Well, like, you 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 could you so well. Much- I I don't I don't necessarily agree because you you could make Chilean Bordeaux style wines and they could be very good wines. But this is one of the things that makes wine so interesting and so different from other things. And that is that. And I actually I spoke about this a little bit on uh, Cork and Java. Is that mm-hmm. so? You know, you know, in in economics we have uh, comparative advantage and, and absolute advantage. And Correct. when it comes to producing wine, Chile, you know, may have a Comparative advantage over Bordeaux, let's say, or, or part parts mm-hmm. of Chile may have a comparative, but they don't have an absolute advantage. Bordeaux has an absolute advantage over Chile in producing wine from Bordeaux using that terroir. I I don't disagree with your logic, but again, and this is and this is what makes wine so amazing. Mm-hmm. That is not a scientifically provable fact. That is a subjectively, scientifically right. provable fact. I, I don't have a better way yeah, to describe yeah. no, it. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying because, I mean, that's the thing. It, is exactly. Wine is subjective. and Because that, that's the thing is like, I guarantee Chile has, a, Chile has so much larger of a coastline mm-hmm. and has, you could find an area in Chile that matches the conditions. You could seed the soil. You could do all that stuff. And yes, you could produce an even better Bordeaux. 
but the fact that it's not from Bordeaux is going to weigh heavily on most Bordeaux drinkers, and not in a bad way. Right. That's just what they're expecting, and as the consumer, that's what they're trying to get. Yeah. But well, like, so, you know, and, and, and I, but I, I will say this, and this is this is going into wine magic or whatever. Is uh-huh. is I've had a lot of Meritage blends from a lot of different places, and they're they can be very very good. And I've had a lot of Bordeaux at this point, and the Bordeaux mm-hmm. can be very good. And they're not necessarily there's. If I was doing blind taste tests or anything like that, there's no way that I would be able to say like. This is I, I would be able to tell if it was right or left bank style, but I wouldn't be able to tell like, oh, this is from Saint Emilion, this is from Castillon, this is from, you know, Madoc or whatever. I wouldn't be I wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily be able to tell that. I'd be able to tell probably Madoc from like Saint Emilion, but if somebody was doing something in the Bordeaux style and it was in the Madoc style of Bordeaux, or if it was in the Saint Emilion style of Bordeaux, I could probably tell if it was New World versus Old World, but I wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to tell necessarily which of these is is specifically Bordeaux and which of these is specifically somewhere else in Europe if they were doing the Meritage blend somewhere else, which gotcha. I'm sure they are. But the, I guess the, the, the only pushback I would give is that when it comes to wine and, and probably beer as well, uh, well, probably less so beer, but wine is so site specific. And even if chemically it's the same, uh, all of those, all of those things, chemically, the soil is the same, the weather is the same, you know, which year to year is not going to be the same. So every year, you know. Correct. But, oh, correct. But even if all of those things happen to be the same and you had one from Chile and one from Bordeaux, another thing that is added into the price of wine, and and this is something to your point when you're talking about, you know, what the consumer expects, is a large portion of wine is the story, which is, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why people listen to this podcast and why this podcast goes on for, you know, an hour and a half or longer is that <laughs> – is that the entire time we're talking about one bottle versus another bottle or one region versus another region mm-hmm. is there's there's a story involved and that story is about to change for Bordeaux. And now the Cabernet Jura and the uh, Savignac that they are introducing aren't necessarily anytime soon, although they may be. Let's see what, what let's see what happens with the either climate change hysteria or reality, whatever whatever people believe. Well and, and here's the thing, it's like to me personally, we're discounting the idea that this is not a an expression of getting rid of government control mm-hmm. by using market forces, but cloaked in a catastrophe. Right. Well, no, yeah, it probably like, is. Because I'm personally convinced that through shading techniques and other new world techniques, mm-hmm. because we have such more aggressive climate yeah. a lot of the time, Bordeaux could doesn't have to switch wine varietals. Right. What the part of the reason they're not doing it is that I think getting these other um, other rootstock, these other wine types, is just less costly. Well, and that's very possible. I, the, I I personally think these wineries are so inefficient that they've latched onto climate change as a way to try to free up more capital from the government to f- save their industry. Whereas you and I would be like, well, you're just super inefficient, so we're going to buy you out, and we're going to shade these grapes, and we're going to make great left bank stuff. Right. You'll still have a job, just we're not letting you keep charge of the money, because you're an idiot. Yeah, well, you know, in both these cases for the Bordeaux ones, the, the Cabernet Jura and the Savignac is, uh, they, as of right now, are not allowing them to call these Bordeaux. These are these are Vin, Vin mm-hmm. de France at this point. We'll see what happens with it, so... 
I would say for both of these varietals, this is probably very entrepreneurial. Um, again, I, I don't, I don't. Well, we'll I see. Agree. We'll see. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing is like you and I, it's very entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial because we would be like, well, you know, hey, Bordeaux, Bordeaux has its advantages. Yes, we we recognize that, but we would be much more interested in trying these going like, hey, this is a great Bordeaux producer who's, you know, changed 15% of his vineyard to this to try something new. Yeah, well, I'd be I'd be but, very, very interested in trying this Cabernet Jura. Yeah, and that's the thing is like even then we'd still be interested in trying it even though we know it's like oh because it's climate change hysteria. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. Now, kind of going let's let's stay in the same vein and kind of we're sure. probably going to leave the last article till later because it's uh, we're running we're getting close to an hour right now. But um, yes, this one of the reasons I picked this is that Car I don't remember if I mentioned it last week or not, but Car and I took a trip to a Texas winery. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, Angelita's Angelina's. Angelina's Angelina's winery mm-hmm. in I don't remember the town it was it's kind of the middle of nowhere in Texas about an hour south of Dallas and uh which is amazing that you could say something that's an hour south of Dallas is in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> how big Dallas yeah that's, well that's true uh but they had I'm really actually if you're next time you're out here I kind of want us to go visit it because mm-hmm. they have a American hybrid grape or well, it's actually it's a it's a child of two hybrid grapes Ooh. um it's called uh it's called uh, blanc de bois it is a white varietal and granted i did not care that much for the wines that i tried except for one uh that was made from blanc de bois but i also don't care for white wine very often so sometimes i'm okay with it but it, like given the opportunity i think with white wine the problem is you don't have somebody picking. Yeah. And when you pick yourself, it's like when I was trying to pick out the red wine for you for your birthday. Mm-hmm. And when I got you peanut, yeah. it's like shot in the dark. <laughs> like yeah. I've been drinking this forever. I have no idea. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the thing with white is like, you don't care to learn about it. So you don't investigate more of like along the varietals that you care for other than going like, I like vignette. Yeah. And then, buying any vignette that comes across whereas like you know some of the like you know you you do generally like grigio yeah i do, I do typically like grigio and i like i like dry rieslings pretty well i like dry, the, the drier and, and gravettes the, demeanor um yeah and and that's uh, what i mean sauvignon like, blanc if it's drier correct you know yeah like you you like new world sauvignon yeah. blanc a lot yeah. and you know, old world Savion Blanc. I'm, I know you like as well, but like New World has a lot more expression in the flavor. I think so. Yeah, old. That yeah, I, that I think you enjoy more in like more of the exotic fruits because mm-hmm. you do enjoy yeah. those. But like that's the thing is like when you go out and you're like, oh, like when you're looking at a menu trying to pick a white wine, it's a lot harder yeah. when you're not like, oh, it's a you know semi sweet riesling, right? Like I know I'm not going to care for that. Yeah. Oh, it's a Pinot Grigio from New Zealand. Okay, yeah, I know it, it's probably going to be a little grassy, but I'll drink this. Yeah, well, that, and that's but sort of that's you. You look at the list, and there's like forty reds, and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to get a red. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, you know, I like the reds. Uh, although, I, you know, I did I did buy a red recently that I didn't care for, but um, but <laughs> but for this Blanc de Bois, which I I'm very I've been very curious for a while about hybrid grapes, and it was interesting mm-hmm. their entire estate grown wine selection is Blanc de Bois. They only grow Blanc de Bois on, on site. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, and 
I did a little bit of research on this, and Blanc de Bois is really, really new. In fact, mm-hmm. it's so new, it's the exact same age as me. So it's <laughs> so it's the same age as yeah, us. as both of us. Yeah, it was introduced commercially in in 1987. It was developed in Florida for hot, oh. humid weather. Really? Yes, and so they grow it here because it's 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 hot here and it's relatively humid. Yeah. Uh, not as humid as Florida, but it, it is it is humid. And I'll tell you, they had I think they had they had three or they had four of different types of Blanc de Bois that was there. I think one was like infused with peaches. Too sweet, didn't care for it. Uh, they mm-hmm. had just kind of a, a plain dry one. It was fine, but it was I, I didn't think anything special about it. They had another one that was, I think, blended with Moscato. Uh, again, too sweet, didn't really care for it that much. And then they had one that was fermented at, I think, 8 degrees Celsius. So they mm-hmm. lowered the temperature during fermentation. Significantly. Significantly. And, and I, when I tasted it, I was like, this is actually interesting. This has this tastes almost exactly like dried apricots, and dry. It was dried apricot flavor, but also a dry wine, meaning low sugar, low, not very sweet. And there was a grassiness to it that was that made it interestingly complex. It was kind of a little bit of slate flavor, and I was like, "Huh, what was the acidity like?" Uh, it, it was it was acidic. It was acidic like a white wine, but probably not nearly as much as like a riesling. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely a warm weather white. So it had acidity, but it wasn't like overly acidic. Uh, how how chilled did they serve? It? They sold they they served it chill. I'd probably say probably about sixty three, maybe Fahrenheit. Okay. Fahrenheit, yeah. So Carr had it with me. Carr liked it. We both liked the red blend that they had better, which was all made from Hill Country grape or uh, uh, High Plains grapes. Um, mm-hmm. But this was the one hybrid white that I. I think I've ever had. I don't think I've ever had another hybrid white, and I almost bought that chilled one, but they didn't have any bottles of it left. They they just mm. had the tasting bottles, which they had like a couple of tasting bottles. Another interesting thing about this, and I brought this up on Cork and Java, is they had another one of the Blanc de Bois there, one of the ones I didn't care for, that they are not allowed to sell off-site. And can you guess why? Probably because it doesn't meet some sort of like labeling regulation exactly right labeling and the but the labeling regulation that it didn't meet was because their label wasn't approved during the trump shutdown which is something you mm-hmm. and i have spoken about 100 so, yeah. so i thought that was really interesting is is i think it's really interesting they can sell it still they can sell it on site and i guess you can buy it on site but you're, they're not allowed to ship it I really wish I had known that. I would have had you get me a bottle of that. Oh, What's well, it's just it's pretty a, close. I can I can go down there. They're they're pending they're pending approval right now, and they, they have no reason to expect they won't be approved. But it yeah, that takes away some of the mistakes. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. They, it, it was a fun trip. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I I wouldn't like necessarily recommend highly Angelita Vineyards to anybody, but it was a lot of fun to be down there. If you're ever in that part of Texas, you know, check them out. Um, well, that's the thing is like, you know, it, it, there's a difference between pure wine experience, yeah, which is much less our target market. Right. And experience. Yeah, exactly. Like I drove the wine van. We went to two wineries. We intended to go to three. I wasn't going to get to drink at any of them. And I still had a very good time. Yeah. And like I 
enjoyed a bottle of wine from each afterwards it in my own house my own settings all that stuff but that's the thing is like there's with the right people trying something new and not putting out a lot of money it's not like you spend a thousand dollars on one of these bottle of wines no. and going like oh hybrid is trash right you, you know would you spend like 20 bucks on the wine? yeah i mean i i think the tasting was like 20 bucks and i got a free uh stemless glass and, mm-hmm. and i think the bottle of of the red blend that i got was like probably about that 20 bucks maybe 25 dollars yeah, I mean, the, and you had good company, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Right. So now we're at about an hour and five minutes. So we are going to do a quick version of our final plugs and then head out for the time, folks. Now, you've mentioned twice now something called Cork and Java. What is this Cork and Java? So Cork and Java is a, is a YouTube show where they... What is YouTube? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're actually on YouTube, so you, you can go ahead and we yeah, are. Yeah, you can subscribe to Tasting Anarchy on YouTube. But while you're on YouTube, subscribing to Tasting Anarchy, go over to Cork and Java and check out what they have, and probably subscribe to them as well. They mm-hmm. they've got a show that they exactly what the name uh, says. They're interested in wine and um, coffee. Uh, different types of coffee. They do a lot of different reviews. So different kind of than what you and I do, Mason, they do a lot of technology type reviews. So it's things that, Hmm. things that make coffee or things that you can use to decant your wine. Uh, I think occasionally they do whiskey as well. So they have like whiskey and other hard liquors. Traders. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, They have, they have that kind of thing. Uh, But I was on the show recently. So you can go ahead and check out my appearance on it. I talk about tariffs and, and how, uh, Recent comments from the current president, Donald Trump, have uh, worried some winemakers and like what the appropriate response to tariffs against your country would be. So go ahead and check. You mean the commander in orange? Exactly, the commander in orange. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, pretty cool. Corgan Java. I, I think you're missing the entire most important thing about this okay. podcast or this uh, podcast, this uh, YouTube channel. Yeah. They are like an hour from me yeah they're very close yeah very close yeah like oh and and actually he's gonna be on our show i i invited him to come on because he has he you weren't able to come to the episode that he and i did yeah so i i asked him to come on to our show to do Mm -hmm. just basic wine reviews and to talk about his his program and uh we would go over some kind of non-political stuff although i think he might have found out about about us through uh tom woods yeah i think um I, I definitely kind of get the idea, and, and I haven't had a chance to check out much of their content, that they might lean closer toward our freedom aspect. Maybe not necessarily the anarchy aspect, right. but I'm sure they'll come on and be like, we're completely Rothbardians, you dummies. Uh, why didn't you listen to episode three or uh, yeah. something? Yeah, which would be completely right, fair. Right. Like, you know, that that's completely fair from them. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Speaking of that, we have a couple ways you can reach out to us. Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Jacob's kind of uh, the Twitter machine. TastingAnarchy at gmail.com. TastingAnarchy.com. And then uh, Childerberg.com. Childerberg is our annual libertarian, anarchist, freedom, people of uh, awesomeness festival in... I always want to say South Texas, though. I know it's yeah, not it's, South it's, Texas. it's Central Texas. Central yeah. Texas. It's Central. This uh, year it'll be in Austin. As you can say central anything in texas right by this year we mean next year in 2020 um 
as I mentioned earlier in the show, we're going to wrap the Libertarian Convention. Um, so what, May 23rd through the 26th? Or is it the 24th through the 26th? No, you, you had it right. 23rd through the 26th. Yeah. Yep. So May 23rd to the 26th. So we'll be in Austin. Uh, we'll be camping. What's the park called, Jacob? It's uh, Emma Long Metropolitan Park. Yeah. So we have quite a few people who are interested in coming that are big name in the libertarian um, sphere. I will pretty much guarantee that I am going to nonviolently kidnap Mark Clare um, <laughs> just because I know he's going to need the mental break. I understand he's going to be making a lot of wonderful content for the Lions of Liberty, but um, I know he's going to need the mental break. And if I'm kidnapping Mark Clare, I'm probably going to just take all three of them if they're there because yeah. um, they're going to be like, look, we've got booze. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. We're only 20 minutes away. You guys can find your way back pretty easily. Maybe rent like a bird scooter or something like that um, or – Lime, whatever Austin has, and then you know, ride your way back or just take an Uber, right? Uh, I mean, if it's like here, they're um, plagued with they're they're just plagued with scooters, <laughs> exactly. So, but you know, there's going to be quite a th- few things going on. So, that is presented by Tasting Anarchy and Childerberg, though I think there are a couple other uh, people who are on the planning commission who also have podcasts. Yeah, uh, um, I think the gentleman. And lady from Anarchist Garage. That's right. Yeah, uh, Unreal yeah. Anna, Anna Adams and Eric. I don't want to dox him, so because I, I don't remember if he put his last name out, but it's Eric. I think he has, but I wouldn't. Yeah. Dox okay. Him so anyway. Unreal Anna Adams and look up Eric on Twitter. He's uh, mm-hmm. he's got like an upside down uh, American flag, but instead of like the stars and stripe, it's like the rebel insignia from Star Wars. So, <laughs> That's uh, pretty so cool. So if you if any and also if you go to Childerberg, you can you, he'll you'll see who follows yeah. me. Um, I can actually probably look it up, but, uh, yeah, basically if you, if you can't find him, let us know we can find him. But yeah, so, um, I'm sure Mr. Sue will be there yeah. if he's, you know, if he's somehow in the country, which I don't think he's going to leave the country, but you know, I think that's the only thing that would stop him. Um, like we could just keep name. I'm sure Theodore, if he can, is going to come yeah. down, um, from, I well, mean, and, and Dino's on the planning committee, so he'll, Dino's yeah. on the planning committee. I'm sure Rolo will come back. Yeah like slappy hopefully he'll be able to come um bird is slated to be there he is apparently going to be using you as muscle but basically if you are in the anarchy if you're in the liberty if you can find your way to south texas south (laughs) central texas the austin area the capital of texas um apparently an amazing place to go anyway it's not going to be too hot there's plenty of hotels However, if you're planning to come and you want to camp with us, let us know ahead of time. Reach out. You, you know, spots are limited. Yeah. This is a, an event that we put on or Jacob puts on with his own money. Um, so we are selling shirts. We are going till at least September 1st. Are the first 100 sold mm-hmm. for the Investigate Childerberg. And so I should do a count. Of I'm missing. I don't know how many. I've sold yet. It's, it's probably not quite a hundred, but it's probably more than fifty. Yeah. So stay free, everybody. Drink it, Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peterstown, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. 
All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, throw the yodi, drink wine. Wine, throw the yodi, drink wine. Wine, throw the yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Port and sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willis Den. He wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine, throw the yodi, drink wine. Wine, throw the yodi, drink wine. Wine, throw the yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, throw the yodi, drink wine. Wine, throw the yodi, drink wine.